listening to the Carleton Political Science Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Political Science at Carleton University in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I'm Asif Ami, one of the PhD students with the program. When COVID-19 took hold of the world seven months ago, it caused a retrenchment of life unlike anything the world has ever seen. Seeking refuge at home, many people found solace and distraction in binge-watching movies and television putting streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime at the heart of essential services for the survival of the great quarantine of 2020. But, not unlike some dystopic nightmare found on Netflix's Black Mirror, our experience of entertainment is hardly apolitical. In many ways, the political assumptions of our modes of entertainment and the streaming service we use to access this content is arguably more important than it's ever been, as all eyes are currently, for better or worse, gazing in the same direction. What are the politics of Netflix and its myriad of content, and how does the political assumption of the films, television shows, and documentaries we consume impact our own political reality? These questions and more will be tackled in a unique first-year seminar that will be held in the winter semester here at Carleton by Professor Mira Sukharov, a world-renowned expert in the politics of Israel and Palestine and a prolific author of scholarship and media alike. Professor Sukharov is one of the most beloved members of our community here at the Department of Political Science. Last week, Professor Sukharov also celebrated a major publication milestone with the release of Borders and Belonging, a memoir capturing her experiences in academia and activism in Canada, Israel, and beyond. And I'm happy to be joined by her today to talk about her new book alongside the upcoming seminar on Netflix and politics. Thank you for joining us, Professor Sukharov. Pleasure to be here. So... I, I love this idea for the first year seminar you have next semester on Netflix and politics because right now streaming services like Netflix, they're basically essential services for people right now during the pandemic. You know, and it just makes this seminar all the more relevant, I think. Where did the idea come from? You're absolutely right that this is the season or the year or the two years of streaming as we're uh, more and more confined to our homes in an effort to beat the pandemic. And so part of the idea for the course was to capitalize on this cultural moment of streaming and very at-home entertainment. And another was a real practical reason. The course I was going to teach is a course I developed several years ago, and it's called Graphic Novels and Political Identity. And I realized as the pandemic was setting in and as the library was restricting its services to mostly eBooks, that it would be very hard for students to access the materials because we usually read a graphic novel or graphic memoir per week and and a lot of these books are not available in e-format and even if they were graphic novels and graphic memoirs don't lend themselves very well to e-formats because the lay partly because the layout of the page is so important in conveying the, the story or conveying the ideas so I thought about it and of course if if I had my druthers students would just simply purchase all the graphic memoirs. And I think they're wonderful to have as a collection, but I certainly didn't want to presume that students have that kind of book budget. So I turned on a dime and I changed the course completely to Netflix and politics, which will enable me to do a lot of the same concepts that I wanted to teach, but in a different medium. So give us a rundown of this course. What can students expect with this seminar? Is there going to be a lot of parallel, for example, to the graphic novel course you had planned out initially? 
in some ways, yeah. I mean, will students will be will it'll be less about exploring and, and discovering a new medium because I think students are obviously extremely well acquainted with film and television. Um, but in this course, what we are going to do is we're going to learn to extract themes from particular popular offerings. And so part of the way I've designed the course is to think about which films and television offerings contain political themes that are relevant to um, political science as a discipline, broadly speaking. And we'll be doing about a film or television episode or two per week. And each week we will discuss those themes together. So I'm really interested to hear what's the content of the course. Like what, what shows or documentaries are you going to be looking at in this seminar? Great question. We're going to be looking at a wide range of films, documentaries, and television shows, if we still call it TV these days with Netflix. I had a summer student this summer who was working with me on the Students as Partners program, Yavuz Topaz. I'd like to give him a big shout out. And he and I came up with a list together, and I'm still narrowing it down, but it might include things like Black Mirror, House of Cards, Contagion, and climate change, the pandemic itself, office culture, gender, inequality, social media dynamics, political ambition, the news media, and foreign policy. So everything that you could possibly think of that might be political, we'll try to cover it. Excellent. Can't wait. You're welcome to join. Oh, well, I just might. It'd be a little interesting sitting with all the first years, but I mean, that's what I'm doing now anyway, so why not? Why not? (laughs) You know, one thing I really love about your approach here is the accessibility that's at the heart of your work and your pedagogy. You know, I I come from journalism myself. That was what I was doing for a few years before coming here. So the idea of making socially accessible research that anyone can take on, you know, it's just it's one of the things I love about your approach. You know, even past courses like your course on social media presence, op-ed writing, the place of activism, even something like the trailer for your course. I remember this summer seeing on on Twitter the trailer for your Israel-Palestine politics course. You know, where does this desire to produce for an audience beyond the academy stem from? Yeah, you raised two good points there. The first is really about accessibility. And I think it's really key when teaching concepts that are new and sometimes intimidating to encourage students to think about how their everyday experiences and their everyday encounters can be mined and examined and excavated for deeper thematic meanings and can be linked together to tell stories about politics today. And so that's really one goal is to try to encourage students to see politics behind every stone. And the other is how I like to encourage my students to learn and master the skills that they'll need to take their learning and research and knowledge and scholarship and move it beyond the academy and have way learn ways of translating their knowledge outwards and so one of the courses you you mentioned that I really love teaching and that I've developed at Carleton and I actually wrote a book to help others do this both at the teaching level and also just for everyday scholars and experts to learn how to write op-eds and learn how to engage in social media effectively how to take ideas and move them outwards and how to steer a conversation um, often about contentious issues in productive directions. So how would you encourage young academics and emerging academics to kind of unlearn the academic voice and move beyond the academic bubble? Yeah, well, part of it is really, yeah, as you said, the academic voice, particularly in writing, can be really um, challenging for readers. And I think it's really, I I mean, I think it's, I kind of hold um, academia now to a certain moral standard that if you're 
um, work can't be understood by the average um, the average educated reader, which means the average reader who isn't necessarily schooled in the nuances of your particular discipline or your particular jargon, if it can't be understood, and if it can't be understood by students, then it, its use is much more constrained than if you wrote it accessibly. And so partly, yeah, partly there's a strategic aspect. You want to be understood and you want to move people and share your knowledge. And partly I think it's a moral, a moral demand to speak broadly and rather than... Um, very privately i think knowledge should be shared and not hoarded no i'm the same way for me it's it's always it's kind of like a genre that i use like sometimes i'll write a poem sometimes i'll write music sometimes i'll write fiction or short stories then there's the academic side but it's all just about conveying the idea absolutely and there are some moves now to um, combine genres and take academic knowledge and deliver it in ways that are less conventional so I think, as you know, I just published a memoir, which was published with an academic press under their traditional academic international relations list. This was um, acquired by an editor who really saw the value in a new kind of writing. So taking the literary conventions of creative nonfiction, setting scene, writing dialogue, putting the reader really with the writer very intimately and and finding new ways to um, get uh, political ideas across and political science ideas across. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you're obviously celebrating the release of that memoir this week, Borders and Belongings. You had the launch yesterday. And I'm, I'm really interested because you've written so many different journal articles and op-eds and you've written books on both the craft and of the craft. But, you know, walk me through the process of, of writing memoirs. What inspired you to do it now? How do you approach writing it? And what was it like you know, writing your life story compared to other kinds of work? Yeah, well, the key thing with writing a memoir is that there has to be a tight thematic element. So it's not simply one's life story, which I guess would be an autobiography or perhaps what, what older fancy people do who want to chronicle their life simply for the sake of pos- posterity. In this case, it's it's a memoir. It is about my life, but it's about a very particular aspect, and that is the relationship between one's personal life and one's political uh, knowledge acquisition, one's political commitments. And I look at the case of, well, myself growing up in a tight-knit Jewish community in Winnipeg and looking at how Jewish community teachings and ideas shaped me and then how I began to filter those ideas through my own experiences, both academic and really tactile, really personal experiences in engaging with Israel, Israel-Palestine, with visiting there, living there, and then teaching and creating a career out of studying um, and writing about and teaching and researching the politics of Israel-Palestine. So it's it was a real um, fun process. It was also a challenging process. I had to really unlearn a lot of the academic conventions of making a case, of ma- of anticipating your critics, um, telling the reader what you're going to tell them. In this case, in the in the case of creative nonfiction, like memoir writing, it's really important to show the reader more than tell the reader. It's important to trust the reader that they'll infer um, the ideas you're trying to get across via the emotions and the the physicality and the storytelling you're doing. So it's it's quite different than op-ed writing, even though what they both have in common is they're both accessible modes of writing for a broader public, but they are quite distinct. And I really enjoyed mastering both kinds of writing. Writing something like this is such a huge milestone for a writer, you know, especially not just a memoir, but something that's this high concept as well. 
And I can't help but ask, you know, what's come, what comes next? You know, what kind of content or scholarship do you have in the works? What's going on in the life of Mir Sugarov right now? Wow. Well, thanks for that question because it really gets uh, gets my creative juices going and thinking about the next project. One thing I have in mind is a new book project called How to Talk About Zionism. And there I want to really combine the idea of uh, argumentation and um, some of these elements of memoir and write both a book that makes a clear argument and a book that draws on my personal experience to model a better conversation, particularly in the diaspora Jewish community about Israel, Israel, Palestine and Zionism. And it would involve um, a series of short chapters that would be quite accessible, ranging from airports to falafel to the Netflix show Fauda to Israeli Independence Day to Zionism itself. Really thinking about the um, psychological, the collective psychological idea of attachment and how communities attach to imagined homelands or countries that aren't necessarily their own by virtue of citizenship, but but that are their own by virtue of ethnic connection and really starting to think about how that attachment, sense of attachment can be combined with the pursuit of justice and equality for Israelis and Palestinians. Well, anyways, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know it must be a crazy week with a launch. And I mean, work doesn't stop either. But thanks for taking the time to join us and talking about all this stuff. Really looking forward to the course and to reading the book when I have the chance. I enjoyed chatting, Asif. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at CU underscore poly on Instagram at CU underscore poly dot and on Facebook at carltonu.polysci.